The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Greetings and welcome to Capital Weekly's podcast. I'm John Howard and I am joined here by Tim Foster, my colleague. Hi, John. And our special guest today is Adam Gottlieb, who during his day job in normal times is an employee of the Energy Commission, but also collects political memorabilia. Uh, and this is really fascinating. Adam, thank you very much for joining us. Hey, John, Tim, thanks for having me back. It's, it's, a, it's a first to be on your podcast and an, an honor. <laughs> so, so this year, or maybe 2022, next year would be better. But what do you think are the hot collectibles from the election that's coming up? What are we, are we looking for ballot initiative, little synopses or candidates? Anybody out there, anything strike you as kind of weird coming up? Well, let, let's be clear. Um, I, I'm, I'm a collector. I'm a political uh, enthusiast. I, I, I'm a political junkie. I'm an armchair historian. And yes, I'm a nerd. So when you ask what's going to be uh, coming up for uh, collectors, it's hard to say because the button as we know it as a marketing tool is shrinking. It's, it is not, it is being replaced by stickers and by lawn signs and by, you know, TV ads. Uh, yeah. We're, 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 uh, we're an endangered species a bit. Yeah. yeah I miss the buttons. The buttons were pretty, pretty cool. I like the t-shirts too. You know, like you see at conventions, Trust me, I'm a reporter, or hey, I'm from the government, I'm here to help you. I like those cool t-shirts, and I don't see yeah. any of those now. I, yeah, I'm not, I have not thought about this until this moment that we're having this discussion, but I would think Trump, Donald Trump collectibles will be a big thing in, I mean, no matter what happens in this 2024 run or anything else. I mean, 25, 30 years ago from now, he'll be a that'll be a big deal. I know like Nixon stuff is very collectible and JFK stuff and Reagan stuff. Uh, but Trump is, I think probably going to have more cachet than any of them. As far as people will certainly still be talking about him 30 years from now. Uh, I, I, I think Trump material so you can maybe not in California. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- I think that if you have, you have people who are diehard collectors and, the and, and a diehard enthusiast, and I think there may be there may maybe a Venn diagram of a small overlap, but for the most part, collectors collect for for several reasons. They they celebrate American history. Um, the organization that I'm connected with, the American Political Items Collectors, collects everyone from George Washington all the way up to Joe Biden, and we celebrate American history. We celebrate the political causes that helped shape American history whether it was the civil rights or the civil war or, you know, social justice issues or cause or anti-environment, pro-environment, anti-nuclear, anti-war issues. The history of America can be told in buttons. And, and that's sort of the fun thing about it is you get to hold history in your hand and look at the whole arc of history through these artifacts. Some can be very expensive. Some can be very affordable. You can pick up a Nixon Now button from 1972 for a penny. Nobody, nobody, they're, they're, they're dirt cheap. As far as Mr. Trump's items, um, everybody's trying to hold on to their MA, their MAGA hats. Um, <laughs> um, these are the same people who thought Billy Beer six packs would be collectible. And yeah. that's how, much, how much does this Billy Beer six pack set you back these days? You could probably buy a, a it probably cost you less than a real pack, real six pack of beer. <laughs> Let me put it there. You can get a six pack of Billy beer for less than a, a nice 
six pack of, of your favorite alcoholic beverage. You know, when the, when the campaigns make so many items and produce so, like the MAGA hats, uh, how valuable can they be? I mean, they must put out hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them. It, it, it's a it's a manufactured collectible. What 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 we're about, what the American Political Items Collectors uh, is about, and we've got a show coming up on December 11th. We've got a show coming up here in Sacramento at Sierra Two, the uh, the school over on 24th Street uh, in Curtis Hall. Um, Sierra Two is a great location. We've been going there for about 15 years now. We uh, invite the public to come and shop and buy something for the history nerd on their Christmas list. But people who collect, collect for a reason. There's, there's a connection with a, a campaign that they might, might have worked on, Reagan's first presidential race, or they interacted with a candidate on the campaign trail. Sacramento's a political town, Tim. So, you know, we, we've seen our fair share of national politicians. If I remember right, John Howard, did you not see Jimmy Carter in like 1976 standing on a corner and no, no one paying attention to him? I didn't. But oh. I heard that story secondhand from a completely reliable source that Jimmy Carter was at a K Street. I think it was 10th and K. And he was passing out. It would have been, I think, 75 year before he was elected. He was passing out invitations to come hear him at a press conference at a news briefing. Mm-hmm. And one of the people I talked to, I think Dan Walters over at Cal Matters now was a longtime columnist. He actually got an invite is my memory of that. But it's amazing to think here we have a future president and soon to be presidential contender, currying support at 10th and K, which t- took a lot of guts, I think. And if you think 10th and K isn't improved now, you should have seen it in 1975. Yeah, yeah there was, and there was a famous guy, I, I hate to say I'm blanking on his name because it was before my time, but there was a guy that, that had a sign and he would hang out right there. And uh, there were all these news stories about him from the time. And it, when he finally passed, he got a, an obit. But he would they were really, really blisteringly nasty signs about politicians. And he would oh, put yeah. himself right there by the Capitol. And yeah. uh, he had the big, you know, the sandwich board type sign. It was the sandwich board. I, I, does anybody remember his name? I don't remember his name, but I remember seeing him. I remember him with a bicycle and he'd park the bike on the sidewalk. I remember seeing him at 11th and L with a sandwich board just excoriating everybody, denouncing everybody, any political person, you know. I'm going to look this up. If I can, if I can figure out his name, I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, <laughs> and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll tell you this, you know, people, people say they hate politics, but they don't hate political buttons. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, we, we've had people come to our show. They just hate the people wearing them. Well, you know, <laughs> it, 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 is, it is a marketing tool. You know, Madison Avenue came up with the best slogan ever with I Like Ike. The man's name was Eisenhower. It doesn't fit on a button. I Like Ike was simple. Yeah. The, 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 the early medium of television started to run cartoons, ran a campaign commercial that's with very jaunty music with I Like Ike, I Like Ike, everybody likes Ike. And all of a sudden, people started getting hooked to the mantra could get getting getting clued into the, the 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 message and the message was shown on buttons and bumper stickers and badges and posters and ribbons and all of that is is what we collect and and some people might just say okay so these are just political souvenirs i would challenge those who went to the march on washington in 1963 that they were more than souvenirs that they were actually tools for activism and it became 
sort of a, a, a way to express your desire for social change. And that's, again, part of America's history told through a button. Oh, yeah. Well, and I, and I have to say just randomly, I was up in the Bay Area, uh, this actually more of the wine country this past uh, Friday. And a friend of a friend was there and he was wearing the coolest political collectible I have maybe ever seen. It was a Medfly Invasion T-shirt. <laughs> it was a giant ink drawing of a Medfly with all these people running. And there in the corner is a tiny little Jerry Brown. It's a Medfly Invasion. And it was drawn by the artist who later did all the designs for the Santa Cruz Skateboard Company. And uh, it was dated 1981. And apparently it was sold through some novelty shop uh, in the Bay Area. But it was cool. And I was like, you know, maybe I'll look for one of those. And then I looked on eBay and it was like $80 for one. I was like, maybe I won't get one of those. But <laughs> it was about the coolest thing I've ever seen. First off, the drawing was really good. It looked like the fly from that 1950s movie. But you know, um, I always I always wanted cool. to get the AP t-shirt uh, that I was sold. The Beirut Bureau had Associated Press in mid-80s. And it was the old AP logo, which was circular with Associated Press over the top of it. And this one from the Beirut Bureau had on the back don't shoot in four languages. <laughs> and I know a guy who had it, an AP photographer, and he absolutely refused to sell it to me or give me a copy, get a copy for me. I, I badgered him for years. Always wanted that. And I love the target idea, target and don't shoot at the same time. How can you beat it? You know? Well, and you have to remember Jerry Brown has been amazing for California politics and political cartoonists. Yeah. Uh, whether, whether his run for, for governor or president or whatnot, and of course, when you talk about social issues like the Medfly or, or whatnot, you're going to get into sort of the pop culture realm. Somebody came out with a board game, the Medfly game. And there's, wow. it shows Jerry Brown chasing a fly with a fly swatter. Now, what does the Medfly that, game go for? <laughs> uh, I don't know, but you might find it at the political memorabilia show and sale in what? December. What time is that, by the way? It's December uh, 11th, right? December, Saturday, December 11th. That's Sierra 2. It goes from 10 to 2. Um, and what does it cost to get in? Three bucks, but kids and students are free. And you bring your memorabilia in that you want to find value on? We're doing free appraisals. Oh, there you go. So you know, the, my guess is that our listeners have a pile of this crap in their garage. <laughs> we call it collectibles. Collectibles. How many potholders do they have? So, boxes. So what are the potholders? most valuable? What are, are among the most valuable of the? Because I wouldn't know. I mean, I've seen some that are really pretty cool, and they seem rare. I think one you showed me was uh, it was a little button divided in half in color, with the color brown on the top. The pink on the bottom and the word is in the middle for, for Pat Brown. Brown is pink kind of thing. So was, uh, you know, if I wanted to spend a lot of money on a collectible, what do you think, what are out there like the rarest of the rare, the Cadillac of collectibles? Well, that's a great question because people think that they have to be a stockbroker to get into this. And the truth is you can spend a dollar on a button, like I said earlier, or you could spend thousands of dollars. I mean, it, there, there was a, a women's suffragette pennant that recently sold at auction for $3,800. Um, wow. The, the uh, brown is pink button that you just described, um, little one-inch celluloid, probably goes for about 8 to $10. Not a lot, 
You can get a Nixon for governor button for under five. You can get um, Biden buttons in the two to three dollar range. You can now it, it jumps up. I mean, if you have a button that says California delegation in baby blue with Ronald Reagan's picture in the front of it, it's a four inch button. It was one by it was worn by the California delegation. That's a very collectible button. It ranges between six to seven hundred and fifty dollars. And the reason why it's so expensive demand is they didn't make as many as oh yeah the, the demand or, or quantity was limited. So you've got a popular president, you've got a scarce item, and it's a pretty attractive button. It's a four inch bit button, so it's a nice centerpiece. Um, but people collect for all reasons, and they collect Jimmy Carter. They collect. Ronald Reagan, they collect John F. Kennedy. I like to think of them as the blue, the blue chip stocks, you know, Lincoln, Teddy Roosevelt, Truman, Reagan, uh, JFK. Um, those are going to be the more collectible presidents. You can probably pick up, you know, Calvin Coolidge for a, you know, a couple of bucks, you know. So is there, have you met people who, uh, who maybe focus more on obscurities? Like, I wonder, is there, is there anybody out there who's like, oh, I want to have every political item from the Know Nothing Party or the Know Nothings or from, you know, uh, the Whigs? Or uh, I can imagine there's got to be people who collect, you know, stuff from the Progressive Party in their heyday in like whatever, 1912 to 1918. Um, do you know anybody like that or, or that kind of focuses on that sort of stuff? I do. And, and again, the American Political Items Collectors is a, a nationwide organization. Uh, we're getting ready for our national convention next summer, July in Reno. Uh, so oh, that's wow. going to be a major, major mecca of political nerddom con uh, <laughs> you know, congregating on the Atlantis Hotel in Reno, um, July 17th to the 23rd. But the um, there are people that collect niche items. So let's say third party, somebody collects nothing but socialist party or prohibition party, or in some cases, you know, the, the, the funny parties like, uh, Archie Bunker and, uh, Fonzie oh, yeah. for president, Miss Piggy for president. Um, you <laughs> yeah, know, I think I've all, got an Alfred E. Newman for president at the office. There you go. So, so people collect and those buttons are, those buttons run between, you know, five and seven dollars the, the sort of the, the humorous buttons that falls under the pop culture category yeah um and it's funny because some people collect um there, there's a woman down in long beach who collects first ladies uh there's a woman in the bay area who collects uh anything to do with jimmy carter as long as there's a peanut involved so <laughs> if you know she's got a button that says the grin will win or she's got a wind up jimmy carter bank um <laughs> It's it's kooky. Well, well, they made things like that mechanical devices as campaign equipment, or it was well, more more the novelty. Uh huh. Yeah. More novelty, but let let me point out something. Um, with the passage of the Nineteenth Amendment in nineteen twenty, women got the right to vote, and half the population of the United States was able to go to the polls. So all of a sudden, you're targeting now a new demographic. So you'll see something like potholders. You'll see, um, in the case of in the 50s, you'll see earrings and you'll see bracelets and you'll see brooches and you'll see, in some cases, um, dresses. In, in 1960, at the LA convention for John F. Kennedy, the Kennedettes was a thing. <laughs> wow. Women who showed up in these Kennedy dresses. 
So, so yeah, there's there's everything under the sun. When the automobile became popular, and once upon a time it was a novelty, people used to buy these automobile attachments that they would put on the back of their their um, jalopy. Yeah. What? How would you describe the range of your collection? Uh, you know, chronologically or from year. Earliest ones might come from when do you think, and up to, I think you mentioned up to current day, basically up to Biden. Absolutely, um, Michael. I, I primarily focus on Teddy Roosevelt. Um, I have a, a large collection of items related to his 1903 tour from from um, April through June, uh, a 66 day trip that he took throughout the West. It was his first visit to California. It was his first visit to Sacramento. Um, he uh, was treated by an electrical parade in Sacramento and he spoke at the Capitol. Um, it, it, it's an amazing collection of, of artifacts. Um, but my earliest piece, John, mm-hmm. is a ribbon from 1856 for John C. Fremont. John the, Fremont. John Fremont, the, the Republican Party's first candidate and goes all the way up to this this current uh, president, um, from the Milwaukee Convention, Mr. Biden. Wow. And most of your collection is California-oriented, right? Or I know they have their national collectors, of course, but mm-hmm. is yours California or do you spread out? I, I have I, I primarily focus on national politics uh, in the presidential arena. You'll never get it all. I tell people that. <laughs> I tell people, collect what you like. You know, don't speculate. Collect what you like and you'll be happier. Um, my friend, Bob Warren, uh, the son of the governor is a big collector of these fold over tabs that you see, um, that you used to see on, on lapels and whatnot. Uh, he also has a great deal of items from his father's collection and his campaign, uh, 1948 campaign, Dewey Warren. Uh, of course, Earl Warren uh, went on to serve in the Supreme court and, uh, had a, had a monumental impact on American history. Um, a number of people in the hobby collect California locals, gubernatorial. Um, there are specialties on specialties. You know, I'm a person who goes to a lot of flea markets. I love, there's nothing I love more than being at a flea market at five o'clock in the morning. And uh, yeah, sure. I, being you know in Sacramento, I come across quite a bit of political stuff. Um, and it's all interesting, don't get me wrong. But the stuff that I really like is where I really can't figure out what it is. And there was one, I can't remember the exact phrase, but I finally figured out that it was it was a campaign to ban the pay toilet in the 70s. And I've come across, John, wow. do you remember the, the name of that? It was like- uh, It was a March Fong Yu campaign, I think. She got, and she destroyed a toilet bowl on the steps of the Capitol or something. I yeah, was not was, there. But, and I absolutely, forget, yes. The, I forget toilets, what, number pay toilets was, cost a dime. <laughs> sign it was like it was like prop two or something it was like flush prop two or something like that and it's like, what in the heck is this all about so i finally looked it up on google but uh there's some weird stuff out there yeah, I, you know, I, yeah. I will tell you i will tell you that that the political button was sort of the twitter of its day i mean you get to express your opinion um you know on social media whether it's instagram or twitter or tiktok but the act of putting a button on your on your shirt, on your lapel, on your blouse, um, really cemented your opinion. So it's it's sort of interesting how we've come 
full circle with, you know, the artifact. Uh, the buttons used to be handed out by campaign headquarters for free. And now you have to pay for them if you go to a rally or if you go to a, a yeah, yeah. you know, a, a headquarters. Uh, a lot of people are producing them. Vendors are producing them. So you want to buy um, stuff that gives you joy. So, you know, my collection is is uh, a robust collection of American history throughout the years. Um, and people will people will gravitate to finding, you know, what what fits their budget and what fits their collecting needs. Well, if there's no convention going on and when there is no um, or no event where people can all go to and congregate, but daily. Where do you go when you're looking for memorabilia? Are you going online? You going to eBay? You go to, uh, I'm not sure. I mean, are, or is there a publication out there for political memorabilia folk and they know to go to that and check websites, that kind of thing? How's that work? Well, there, there, eBay is, is sort of the, the font that everyone drinks from, um, the fountain that everyone drinks from. Um, I love going to flea markets and garage sales and antique store antique stores when back when they used to have antique stores and, and whatnot. Um, there's nothing like the thrill of the hunt, like Tim said. And eBay fulfills that need. There are a number of auction houses, um, Hakes back in Pennsylvania, uh, Anderson Americana in Indiana, um, Legacy uh, in Arizona, and of course USA US Americana uh, in also in Arizona in Phoenix um, provide a wonderful uh, outlet for the armchair collector to shop from the convenience of their laptop, and um, that is that's one of the ways we do it. We get together the American Political Items Collectors again puts on shows all throughout the country. Um, this show here on December eleventh is the NorCal chapter show. There's a show back in New Jersey on Super Bowl Sunday. Um, again, the, the mother of all political memorabilia shows is going to be July 17th to the 23rd in uh, Reno, Nevada. Why so, Reno, by the way? That's way in the West. I would have maybe, why not Kansas City or, you know, somewhere in the mid, somewhere in the country's midsection. Reno, I think of lots of fun, hot August nights, sin, vice, great gambling and really cheap buffets. It's, Maybe that's why <laughs> we've we've held we've held the show at the Atlantis Casino Resort for the for eight eight iterations and, and since two thousand four. So we've been at the hotel before. They know us. We know them. Um, cool. The last the last national was in Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee. Um, we move it around the country because it's it's more um, accessible for somebody who lives in the West. Um, if you live in uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, it might be a bit of a stretch to get to Reno. But we, we want our members to know that the hobby lives in many, many places. And again, you can join the American Political Items Collectors without having to leave your house. And uh, you receive ma a magazine, you receive a quarterly journal. Um, people will get in touch with you and hopefully be a mentor Um to help you with your collecting. When I start, when I first started collecting, um, I didn't know anything. And it's basically through the kindness and the generosity of spirit that this organization fosters. Uh -huh. Yeah. So, so last question, we've all seen American pickers. We know that everyone goes out and they're looking for that big, great thing in the garage or the attic or the basement. What was your best score? What was the best, the best thing you found that was like the big, the big score? 
Wow. That, that's a great question. Uh, I was at the Sutter Street Antique Flea Market years ago and just walking up the street and I saw something that caught my eye. It was a six inch Teddy Roosevelt button. Now, TR buttons are, are pretty valuable, you know, in, in, in two inch sizes, three inch sizes, six inches is like the size of a dinner plate. And I picked it up and I said, how much is this? And the woman says, $30. Didn't have to question it. Didn't have to race the money out of my pocket faster than you can imagine. And it's a fantastic centerpiece. It is, it is one of the best finds that I've, I've ever gotten. And much like you try to go back and fish in the same fishing hole, you don't necessarily go back. You never, you never land that same trout in the same hole. So, was that made of metal, or I'm just thinking of six inches weighing down your suit at a convention? Are you? You know, it's it, it is celluloid, and and again, the political button was born in in 1896 with the invention of you know, using celluloid. Before this, you know, people had tokens, they had ribbons, they had badges. You know. Uh, the invention of photography in the 1860s uh, allowed voters to see what their candidates looked like, really looked like. You know, so an Abraham Lincoln ferrotype, you can actually see what Lincoln looks like, not just a, a image of him on a, on a token. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. But celluloid uh, around the turn of the century, the turn of the last century, allowed people to make buttons. And this is a, uh, a great six inch, six inch example of um a sepia of Roosevelt, Teddy Roosevelt on sepia. Great. Adam Gottlieb, thank you so much for joining us today. And now Tim Foster and I are going to talk about who had the worst week in California politics. The worst week. Worst week. Worst week. And I think that's a pretty easy call again. Each week it seems to get a little easier. And this week I think uh, I think the clear winner is the California Independent Citizens Redistricting Commission uh, they're right in the middle of drawing up maps. I haven't heard anybody say what a great job they're doing, although they probably are. It's just nobody <laughs> likes the tentative districts. You know, I do think uh, Paul Mitchell has been uh, at least chiming in some favorable comments yeah. and, and offering some defenses of them. I don't know that he's gone as far as saying that they're doing a great job, but he's been he's given them some applause. Yeah, well, I can't imagine a more difficult job than trying to balance all these proposals out and try to draw the map that will please everybody in any particular district. Um, but local uh, districts are seemingly getting done, at least some of them north and south California are getting done. City councils, boards of supervisors have adopted districts or at least starting to. So the attention now is, is really aimed at the, um, at the redistricting commission and how it's going and we'll see what happens next. Right now, uh, they're getting a lot of heat. Yeah, I don't. But I don't know, frankly, if anything can be done. I mean, legally, I don't. I suppose there there could be legal challenges. In fact, there probably will be legal challenges. But uh, I don't know, other than complain, really, what can be done. I mean, the, the, as long as the maps pass legal muster. Well, the only thing that can be done by complaining uh, is that you draw attention to the districts, you draw the commissioner's attention to the districts and let them know they're divergent as interests out there and people are competing. Nothing really can be done until the district's maps have been drawn and they haven't been drawn yet. There've only been tentative maps out there. And of course that, that lays the, that opens the landscape for all kinds of fighting. The louder the fighting, the more the partisans hope they'll be heard. 
and we'll see how that plays out. But right now, they're just in the the district is in the middle of a rock or a hard place. Yeah, I wouldn't want their job. That's for sure. Yeah, totally. All right, that'll do it till next week, Tim. Tim, you got anything to add? If you've been having trouble finding our podcast out there, we did change our our platform host from SoundCloud to Simplecast. And I know that some folks are still having trouble migrating over to Simplecast. So if you happen to know anybody who is a regular listener who hasn't heard the podcast in a few weeks, that might be why. Tell them to go to go to Simplecast. And in theory, at some point, our automatic redirects should kick in. Uh, if, you, if you have any kind uh, thoughts to... Uh, if any of our listeners have any kind thoughts to the to the universe to get that uh, redirect to automatically kick in as they assure us it will, uh, that would be nice. So we we yep. are here. We're still here. Real. Yep. Tim, I'll second that, and I will talk to you next time around. Thanks, John, and uh, we'll talk soon. Okay, take care. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.